gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a Hello and welcome to another episode of Fighting in the War Room. Uh, this is our review episode for September 26th, 2014. I'm really losing track of time now as we uh, are in deeper and deeper. Lost uh, track of the, time. <laughs> I'm going back to the game grid, going back to Tron Legacy. Uh, good lord, no. This week we have two big movies coming out one that i think you and i are both kind of favorable about and uh one that we are not uh let's talk about the first one david let's talk about the box trolls uh box the trolls. new movie from Leica, the stop motion animated studio uh let's do it uh the box trolls is the third film from studio Leica, who i i insist are you know, sort of a collective auteur. I, I posed the question to Travis Knight, who runs the studio, is the son of Nike CEO Phil Knight, I guess. Apparently and, he uh, used to be a rapper. Are you uh, aware of this? Yes. Uh, I was not aware of that. I was <laughs> very impressed with his sort of passion and sincerity for this. Uh, he is very quick to rebuff the, like, spoiled rich kid with a giant toy box uh, animation studio, that old cliche. Uh, no, he is passionate about animation. Anyway, I think uh, uh, it's a roundabout way of saying that the box trolls is very much of a whole with, uh, with like his two previous features, Coraline and Paranorman in that it is unafraid to embrace the, the darker side of uh, animation stories that are still, you know, very you know, kid friendly ish. I'd say this is probably their their least kid friendly in some respects. But really, unaf- unafraid. Well, we'll talk about that. But unafraid to be more, but unafraid to engage with the darker fears that kids actually have and carry with them into adulthood. Uh, it's unafraid to be disgusting, and then it understands that the kind of people who um, would spend two years of their life in a in a room moving puppets a fraction of an inch at a time uh, are probably deranged people, and this is the work that they make. But Leica is very much outside of the the bubble of of Hollywood and then their studio in, in Oregon and they um, they are not making things that read as product. They are they are for all intents and purposes an independent studio that's churning out sixty million dollar movies that always make just enough of a profit to make more. And uh, and the box trolls reflects that the box trolls is sort of a very Dickensian uh, fable based on Alan Horn's Alan Snow, Alan Snow. Yeah, I feel Alan like Horn they're encroaching the on someone. Ardman's territory a little with yeah. box trolls, or at least tipping their hat to the Ardman <laughs> way. Um, this is this may be true, but uh, you know, with all sort of, there's no clay, but uh, still, these it's this very Dickensian story that's set in a, fig, a fable-esque British city in a time that I would say reads as the middle of the 19th century. Uh, and it is a uh, unapologetically political story of uh, many things, of family and what constitutes family, but also class struggle. It's very about stratified sort of caste systems. It, it, the box trolls are these sewer-dwelling creatures who are pointedly not that cute. They are not minions, even though they do not speak recognizable English. They mutter around and they're named after these the logos and the boxes in which they live. So the main characters' names are things like fish and shoe. Uh, and, and egg. 
Alex is the main character who is a human baby who uh, falls into their their clutches. No, they're not evil. He he fall he believed to he's believed he's, to be orphaned. They are believed to be evil. We'll get there. But he's uh, orphaned. <laughs> And they raise him as one of their own, and he grows up thinking that he is a box troll, and the story really begins when he's a teenage boy. But on the surface, there is this uh, representative of the middle class who is a, a perverted, is a perversion of the, the worst of how the middle class can get caught and, and their sort of empty aspirations for, for more um, – is uh, Archibald Snatcher, who is played by Ben Kingsley, sounding like Michael Gambon. And and he tells everyone that the box trolls are a menace and that he he goes to the White Hats, which are the rich people, voiced, uh, it's a society of cheese eaters. These <laughs> people who get into these really, you know, unexciting, uh, it's meant, it's funny that they're, the thing that he lusts after Snatcher is so uh, absurd and, and undesirable, but they get together and these a bunch of old white men who, eat various disgusting cheeses. But he says, if I kill all the box trolls, I want to be a member of the White Hats. And they say, fine, whatever. So uh, he convinces everyone the box trolls are evil. He goes and tries to kill them. The box trolls just trying to get by. Eggs. They're very passive. That's a very important part of this, that the box trolls are always caught, but they'll never fight back. And they don't really run away when they're caught by these guys. Yeah, they just, they're, uh, they're very, they're very live and let live. Um, they, they are tinkerers. I think their interests sort of reflect the, the ethos of stop motion animation and that they sort of work with what they have in a very analog way. And, um, and eggs, who they raise as one of their own, but they know is, is a little bit different, uh, cause he can't retract into his box, um, is learning a little bit more about the real world because, uh, the inciting incident of the story is really when the head of the White Hats, uh, who's voiced by Mad Men's Jared Harris, his young daughter, uh, who's voiced by Elle Fanning, who is more British sounding than anyone in this movie, um, despite being maybe the only American besides Tracy Morgan in the cast, uh, she follows Eggs back into his, the box troll sewer lair and discovers uh, you know, where they live in their secret and, and things sort of spiral from there. Uh, Patches, did you like this film? Um, I, re- I really enjoyed this film. When I left the theater, my, my gut reaction was that uh, that it reminded me a lot of like the point-and-click games that LucasArts used to put out, like Day of the Tentacle and the, the Monkey Island series, that you're kind of floating through this hyper-detailed world, cheeky humor, weird characters, uh, and plot doesn't really get in the way too much. I mean, there's a driving force to this movie that the box trolls are being kidnapped and that Eggs discovers that he is may not be one of them, but he can still protect them and save them in some way, and that he has to become who he is to do that. Um, but really, I think the delight of this is just turning around the corners and seeing what else the Leica people have come up to like surprise us. All the designs are so crazy, um, and, and the character, the acting work is really phenomenal. I love uh, Ben Kingsley as, as the snatcher in this movie, and all the like bipping and booping from the box trolls, they don't speak English. Uh, I guess that's another minion-esque trait. Did you find the uh, the lack of an emphasis on plot to be refreshing for for this sort of film? I did until it came back. Until we needed to like put a lesson learned moment into this and kind of barrel towards the ending. I think that's the box trolls' most problematic. Um, yeah, it's it's a problematic aspect of this film. Whereas I think Paranorman gets that right. It's really part of the narrative the whole time, what it's building up to with its climax and 
um, that the boys encounter with this troubled girl and that how they're both kind of in the same boat. That felt very organic. Here it kind of felt like a wrench thrown into this machine, just this magical world and um, running about it. I, I don't like the didactic nature of the ending of this film. Uh, Amy Nicholson just said that it's the cutest cartoon ever made about Hitler. I have yet to read her review to understand what she means. Um, but, uh, okay. Uh, but uh, a tweet was was made uh, in the middle of a recording. But I was not especially bothered by the uh, sort of moral that is wedged into the story at the end because I think that the real morals of the story uh, are, are a little bit uh, they're they're really woven into the to the texture of the movie and are a little bit less easily digested digestible and more suffused throughout the entire thing. And so for them to stop and isolate it and, and uh, try to anchor it in this one particular place, uh, it, while I don't think it was necessary, I, I think that, it, you know, it, it, to give people, especially younger audiences, um, a place to anchor sure. their approach to the movie and then sort of work backwards from there. It could that be is definitely important. throwing a bone to young people who want to identify with in a eggs. movie that in a movie that doesn't really throw any bones to young people until then. I mean, this is uh, you know it's it's the old cliche at this point that you know these are animated films that are. Uh, made for adults and that children can enjoy them too, or they're made for children and adults can enjoy them. I feel like this is a film that is made um, in that weird nebulous space between fairy tales and Dickens that uh, I would say, if you put a gun to my head, I would sooner classify it as being made for adults, uh, but watchable for children. But it's also, you know, it's really gross. It's so gross, <laughs> but that's part of the delight. Like that's why it's how it separates itself for me from, Paranorman, which was really scary at times. I don't find this movie to be really dark and intense um, and disturbing to potentially to children, but it is really foul. Like uh, Snatcher has, I mean, he pursues cheese. He knows that cheese is a status symbol, yet he is allergic to cheese, but he'll eat it well, anyway, and his skin will just bubble and like he's spew. lactose intolerant, Ugh. and he is also an unrepentant villain. And there is, uh, it, it is a, I would say, uh, prejudiced portrayal of an underrepresented group of people being the lactose intolerant. <laughs> that I think is the demerit. Are you lactose intolerant? I am, and I did not I appreciate. Uh, I grew out of it. Yeah, I grew out of it. Yeah, I guess maybe enough lactate pills as a kid. <laughs> Um, I also, I mean, I think that there, there's also, you know, in a time where animation has never been more generic and, and plain um, and sort of sterile. I mean, I watch something like Planes, Fire and Rescue, and even you know, some of the bigger films from slightly more established studios. And they just, they're movies that that don't have any smell to them. You just They feel like they take place in these completely plastic worlds. And the box trolls, which maybe smells a little bit too much for my liking, uh, is so immaculately crafted. Every inch of it, it doesn't really matter what is happening on <laughs> screen because it's just so, like the craft on display is remarkable and you, you just want to cheer it on. I think these people are heroes for making movies in this way. But also the 3D, and this is frustrating because 3D is such a menace that for the most part I wish would go away. But 3D, who knew, is uh, practically designed for stop motion animation because it's bright as they want. The the herky jerky gait of the characters, um, right? It's still live action, right? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really infringe on that. But what's most important is that it allows you to appreciate the character models and the sort of the textures and tactility of the uh, the tactile feel of the 
town that they live in cheese bridge or whatever it's called <laughs> uh in all in a third dimension you can see around it you can get a feel of its roundness and it's 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 not just this uh two-dimensional object of course but uh it, it really helps bring uh the film to life in a way that you know i wish uh yeah, it's great. I would recommend the 3D heartily. Speaking to the tangibility of these characters, these puppets that they're using, what I like about the movie is that it's kind of imperfect. You see their mouths moving, and I don't know really how to describe the sensation of like seeing the missing frames, or it's a little jerky, but it's not. And in a, I don't know if I noticed that in Paranorman, but for me, it feels very British in a way. That old like. Uh, the, the frames per second of British television. I think it's like, what is, uh, oh God, uh, NTSD versus PAC or whatever it's called. And just like the differences there. And it, there's a slight, there's more atmosphere to old British television and a jerkiness. It's imperfect. And I think the box trolls actually does that. You, as you mentioned, it's like a Dickens novel in some way, but it's <laughs> also in its veins in, in the craft. It's really with amazing. shades of German expressionism. I mean, there are, uh, Especially some of the streets in Cheesebridge, the angled ones, um, as the characters roll up and down them, feel like something out of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, and the villains, you know, Snatcher is, I, I can't remember really if, if this would qualify as a spoiler, but I don't think we have to bring it up. But Snatcher has another side to his character, which is very, very interesting. Uh, and I think broaches. Uh, I don't think that's know, a spoiler because it's pretty obvious that he. It is. And then the okay. whole point of the character is that it's a lot more obvious to us than it is to... Right. He's a cross-dresser. Let's just throw it out there. Because <laughs> right. it's interesting. It's an interesting choice, especially after you consider like Paranorman. Oh, one of the characters in the end is revealed to be to be gay, which was like a huge revelation, but also no one made a big deal about it. And the movie certainly didn't. It was just like, yeah, this is well, the this movie is the makes case. a big deal true. out of not making a big deal of it. Like the, the characters are right. just like, he's like, yeah, I'm gay. Whatever. Do you think the Box characters Trolls like, okay. does that for whatever is going on with Snatcher. <laughs> it's an I, interesting I thing to throw into the mix. I don't know if it really pays off in the same way that I think Paranormal it pays does. off in the sense, I think it pays off in the sense that the, um, it shows, you know, this is not a place where Snatcher is necessarily, uh, in the, in the wrong. It's not really about him. It's about how the white hats are so taken with him, um, that, and, and that they, they just sort of, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like they are, their prejudices are cast aside. They're so, it's so important to them also the, uh, the look of things that they forget. I, I'm completely losing my train of thought. I explained this in my review, but uh, I do think that it plays well overall and in a way that I found to be broadly satisfying and inclusive. Um, and I do, and it does sort of further ridicule the, uh, the rich for how they belittle and see the people below them through a very particular prism. Um, and, uh, you know, I think so much of this movie is about the sheer, the, the basic acknowledgement of the humanity of the, you know, the lower class, the class dichotomy. Well, that's where I think the movie kind of slips up. It seems more like a childish lesson than it really has to be. You mentioned in the beginning of the podcast that there's this kind of like deep political message. And I think people can draw their own conclusions based on the box trolls being this kind of passive entity that's being swallowed up and these different 
uh, socioeconomic factions, people, what people want and what people already have and how that creates conflict between them. I mean, there's a lot going on there. And yet I think it kind of falls on a crutch to make eggs this character that needs to, but, you know, learn how to be himself. And his dad is there like cheering him on and be like, you need to look inward. And, and OK, but here's where the Madame Fru-Fru thing comes into play is that it's really about the uh, the calcification of certain perspectives. I mean, like the, these old white men look at Madame Fru-Fru as in actually Ben Kingsley as uh, this very erotic, voluptuous singer. Uh, and they can't ever conceive of her in another way, which is why it's so mind-blowing, even though it's hilariously obvious to us, when it's revealed that she is indeed a he. And it's the same way that all of these adults can't you know, they've convinced themselves that the box trolls are, are rubbish and beneath contempt and not worth thinking about. Um, and they can't see the world in another way. They see them as monsters. They don't see them as people who contribute uh, very valuable and unique things to society and that have uh, value beyond that. And it's their kids. It's Eggs and uh, Penny is her name, the girl. Uh, Winnie Portly Ryan. Winnie, Winnie. Uh, who... who have to you know this is a recurring motif in, in children's movies or movies that could be lumped into the genre of children's movies where the kids have to open the eyes of the people above them because they have yet to be sort of tainted by prejudices that have existed long before their time and so I think that's where the 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 human element of, of having eggs be the protagonist although the creators of the film will readily admit that eggs is by far the least interesting character in this movie yeah. uh, and that it's really just about the world around him that he serves as a proxy for the audience and I I wish I, I am, felt that way more and I still like I, the I mean film, I'm but. never really bothered by that sort of thing or infrequently bothered by that sort of thing and like that I wasn't really bothered by it here um, there really is only so much that you can do to make a, a fascinating unforgettable character of a 11-year-old boy in a, in a movie like this. Well, I think um, it's not paced the right way. Like, you wish that Winnie and Eggs could befriend each other earlier or something. It just seems uneven to me in terms of how it's going to... It, it, he, Eggs doesn't have to be a, a you know dense character with a lot going on. He can be an audience proxy, but he has to kind of flow through this narrative um, with momentum. And for me, it's like shifting gears really abruptly. Uh, the first third of this film is really just traveling through Cheeseburg or whatever it's called and seeing the sights and going underground and seeing where the box trolls live, which is reminded me of the Fraggles. It was wonderful. <laughs> and then, but that, that kind of travelogue of all these different places abruptly shifts to whatever eggs has going on in this relationship with Winnie that just doesn't matter enough um, there's not enough emphasis there or, or nuance to that relationship. Um, but it barrels forward, and I think a lot of it is on Ben Kingsley, especially, and his uh, compatriots, his, his yes. underlings, like Richard Iwade as Mr. Pickles so, or Tracy Morgan. As, uh, well, Richard Iwade as a henchman who is... Uh, at the sure brink of an existential, bad, yeah. he's starting when the film begins, he's at the brink of an existential crisis about whether or not they are the the villains. He's starting to suspect that they might not be the good guys, and I think um, it, you know it's a familiar it's a familiar sort of comic ordeal for a villain. I wait, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. <laughs> short film starring these guys. <laughs> but it's all it plays so so well and i think that like there are so many things in this movie that could that you've seen before in one form or another and might not be nearly as exciting 
um, if they were taken out of this context. And because uh, I was going to say, would I give a shit about this movie? Would I like it nearly as much if it were? You know, 3D CG uh, DreamWorks animation film, uh, but I think that it's not that simple. I think that everything in uh, one of the things that makes Leica's films so essential is that everything about them, every every nuance, every detail in the design, um, just the entire tenor of the world is comes from the same nucleus it's all the same thing and it's all sort of inextricable from each other and so you really can't just say well what if it was animated differently um you know and then you wouldn't have those sort of visual charms to you would you would think of it uh in a very different way because your prejudices of what cg movies are have calcified but you know it's interesting because now in this post lego movie a post lego world um we have seen firsthand that it is possible to replicate the the unique gate of stop motion animation with computers. And now these stop motion movies are assisted by 3D printing and some computer assists. And uh, but still, I think there's something ineffable to this process. There's something um, about working with physical models. That's the big distinction. And, uh, and um, I'm surprised that like uh, pulls back the camera. Towards the end, in the, stay for the credits. I would say. Well, um, yeah, I mean that's uh, they've the done something like that play. with Coraline, uh, and this is uh, there's, a, there's a very popular GIF with Coraline uh, being animated in real time, and then this takes it to the next level, and it's uh, yeah, it's well worth seeing. But I, I really, really like the box trolls. Me too. Uh, I would recommend that you. My only here's my only grievance. They talk a lot about cheese, and they only mention a few cheeses. I could have stood for, like, more cheese puns. Yeah. Well, as someone who's still lactose intolerant, the less cheese, the better. You can grow out of it. Ten years ago, a plot was hatched where evil was with cunning matched. Whoever left their doors unlatched would find their infant children snatched by box trolls. Ooh, no! Box trolls! We're going to wrap up, but David, before we finish, I want to hear what you thought about The Equalizer, because you and I saw this film way back when, before Toronto, uh, and we were able to kind of voice some opinions uh, when, the, when the movie played at the festival, surprisingly, uh, and this movie is awful. I mean, it's I think we were a little in shock how terrible it is. Rancid piece of shit, and it's like, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's just, it's staggeringly bad. It's... Uh, it's endless. It trades in tropes that you thought we had mercy killed years ago. Like Chloe Moretz is a, not, you know, does not necessarily always Chloe Moretz, but she plays a hooker with a heart of gold. Who's of course, as soon as she is, all she wants to do is be a pop singer, David. Right. And, uh, oh my God. It's so bad. And he, uh, but there's a whole Russian mafia behind her and her prostitution ring but because of course you know it just feels like so contrived to have things for for denzel washington to to shoot and there's uh, no energy the, here it's astonishing uh, to go from for antoine fuqua who directed this film to go from olympus has fallen which is kind of just balls out ridiculous and it's not all shaky cam but it all is kinetic hyperkinetic, energized filmmaking um and low budget too i mean it looks like shit at times but this one is shinier and duller because of it. And I, I see people calling never... it like a 90s throwback, which I don't get because I was watching bits of uh, conspiracy theory even, which is not the best of the bunch. But like Richard Donner 
can make that kind of smaller scale action really kick. And this is this has no action in it. It's just sitting right. around reading Old Man in the Sea and the Sea for like forty minutes. It's you know it, it definitely feels like a parody of Denzel Washington movies. Um, I think if Jay Farrow had been playing the Denzel Washington part, it would have been a lot more worthwhile because I mean he sits there and he'll just like every time. Every time there's like a dangerous situation, he'll do that thing where he uh, like plays it really cool, and she's gonna be like, "Okay, you know, like that's." Um, and he's they're very vague about what his past was, and not in a way, and in a way that sort of exceeds even what the story demands of it. Like he does this thing where he kills people and times it on his watch, and that never comes up again. I don't think they ever I really guess. explain why he does that. I know that is a reference, I think, to the television show that this movie is quote unquote based on, right. but I don't think they really give that a purpose other than that he is OCD or something or that he's been driven to uh, OCD because just, his wife died. I'm not quite sure what happened. <laughs> right. There, there, his wife died and he uh, he's struggling with that. He's living. He works you know, at Home Depot. And, and this movie does feel like it was reverse engineered from uh, having a climactic shootout in a Home Depot. And uh, the home, it's so incompetently shot. There's, there's so little life on screen here. There's so many poor choices within these action scenes. It, it's really, and the movie, it just never ends. And uh, I, I really, I, I just didn't feel like there was anything to it ever. There, it was, you know, I could barely tell you what the conflict was beyond the fact that Russians, someone had uh, fucked with the wrong prostitute with a heart of gold. Um, which is not something that I would recommend anyone do to any prostitute, regardless of their <laughs> heart. Uh, you know, they should be treated with respect, but uh, still, it at, at no point does it feel like the uh, yeah, they're right finding people to just throw at him because right. he really he defeats the bad guys of this movie maybe an hour in, and they're like, What else do we do? Well, they <laughs> import else? more bad guys from Russia just to see if he can kick their ass. And, uh, and poor Russian bad guys, like, is that a, is that coming back in vogue? Um, this is the moment for Russian bad guys, they're well, the moment. You know, you would think would have been 30 years ago, but now I guess uh, where they're having another moment. There, what was the other film recently when there was? I, I don't even know. <laughs> the Equalizer is a complete blur. When Melissa Leo shows up, I really didn't know what movie I was watching anymore. I thought maybe I had like quantum leaped back in time five years. Like this just feels like every movie, every horrible September movie from the last decade. It's just. So poor, and then we talk about I, I this Home Depot September, shootout. I think September is better than this. This is a this is like a early February film, <laughs> which is now prime real estate. So there's really yeah. no place for the Equalizer, and there's you certainly don't have to make a place for it in in your viewing. Uh, and, and to see Antoine Fuqua, who you know he, from what I gather from his press rounds, um, you know, and talking to people that have interviewed him, it, it seems as if he genuinely believes in this film and that he. Uh, was not phoning it in, but I, I have, sir, have seen Antoine Fuqua movies, or what they could be at the very least, and this is no Antoine Fuqua. But you're getting excited for the sequel that they're already the making. The sequelizer, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I think, uh, uh, you know, Antoine Fuqua has fallen a long way. Um, it's been, you know, training day is revered probably more than it should be, but is, is really, uh, may as well be Citizen Kane compared to this. So... Well, that about wraps things up for our episode, our review episode this week. Um, David, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet in case yeah, they yeah. need your help? <laughs> Craigslist? What does a Craigslist ad work oh, to uh, summon you to <laughs> Equalizer style? 
Uh, you can find I'm the editor at large of Little White Lies magazine. You can find me on uh, on Twitter uh, at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner, and also you can find my writing at the Dissolve and Baby Club and Complex. And I'm Matt Patches. I'm writing all over the place. Uh, Grantland and Vulture and uh, who knows, biography.com. I did something wonderful there. And uh, I put it all of my work on mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And until next week, farewell.